Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your all-new, all-different X-Men podcast, where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach, and Adam, I swear, it feels like a long time since we've done that actual intro. <laughs> well, we've been in alternate universes trying to save the, the planet from absolute destruction, so it's good just to be on a regular episode. It is a regular episode, except for one, one small detail. Yeah, we have uh, a very talented guest with us today. Now, I, I want to say something. This is important, and this is in the notes that I am supposed to officially read. Stephanie Burt did not attend the Xavier School or the University of Chicago and has never taken dancing lessons, dated a chain smoker, or been to outer space. Instead, <laughs> she teaches English at Harvard. Her new br- book is Don't Read Poetry, a book about how to read poems. We've got Stephanie Burt. Stephanie, how are you doing today? Happy to be here. It's exciting. I'm excited. This has been kind of a long, long way coming. Like, we've spent a while planning this. Well, I'm, I'm going to say that uh, we're going to talk about a character who's waited even longer for some things that are important to her. So, you know. Oh, we are. That's true. I mean, the stuff we've talked about with Kitty Pride on this show previously has been, like, either chased by a demon or... Getting impregnated by the brood, so or not getting married. <laughs> yeah, we did an entire episode oh, right. about we, that one. Yeah, we did the marriage episode. So that is that is a lovely that is a lovely episode, and <laughs> and we may end up with some callbacks to that episode. Yes, absolutely. Will we? You may have some callbacks. I will have forgotten it. <laughs> <laughs> I probably have listened to it more recently than you made it, though. So that probably. Power. Yeah, That's got to be true for every listener who's ever listened to one of our podcasts. Because I, <laughs> here, I can I can count on one hand the number of times I've gone back and listened to an episode. Yeah, I'm also mm. going to say that it's impossible to listen to your episodes before you make them, unless you're a time traveler. Which, That's look, this is X-Men, so let's see what happens here. <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm going to say that if you start getting listeners from Earth 1199, that's problematic. <laughs> the Bishop future. Come yeah. on. Oh, Adam, you're supposed to you're supposed to cover me on that one. You know those. Took me a second. I got it. I know Earth eight eleven, uh, yep. Earth sixteen ten, Earth Which is ultimates. That's yeah, that's ultimates. Uh, and then I think Earth twenty three or something is like Spider Gwen. Nope, it's oh, not. No, I it's, think like Spider Gwen has like a letter instead of a number. It's weird. It's, it's, uh, Earth 2301 is the Mangaverse, which kind of took this to the worst possible place it could. And we're going to we're going to ignore all that and switch over to uh, doing this dang thing, <laughs> because okay. this, this episode was requested uh, by our Patreon supporter, Benjamin Mager. Uh Benjamin went over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files, threw money at us so that we would create an entire episode around the story Kitty Pride and Wolverine. This is a 1984 miniseries by Chris Claremont and Al Milgram. And this is this is something. Hey, Stephanie, what, what happens in this one? Okay. So I'm going to try to plot summary as elegantly as I can, which is frankly not very elegantly. I'm still learning what a plot is. Okay. Yeah. So... Kitty's dad, who is a banker, and Kitty's mom and dad have recently split up, uh, being visited by some shadowy people who turn out to be Japanese and who turn out to be Japanese banker gangsters uh, (laughs) who are doing a shady banker gangster deal to take over his bank. When Kitty learns how much trouble her dad might be in, she sneaks onto a flight to Japan using her phasing powers and ends up being all by herself in Japan in her skating costume. Has to use her phasing power to avoid falling down and and getting lost in Tokyo and feels kind of lost in Tokyo anyway and gets 
kidnapped by a guy called Ogun who uses ninja mind control skills to take over her personality and her body, perhaps because Chris Claremont or Marvel editorial or someone wanted more Marvel Japan. Um, I think Chris Claremont historically has just really wanted a lot of this. He goes back to this well more than once. He does, yeah. And this is, I think, the first time we've had a white lady mind-controlled in Japan. But not the last. Certainly not the last. Fortunately for Kitty, Wolverine shows up and fights Kitty wearing a devil mask with horns. Yes. realizes that he's fighting Kitty, even though this is someone with ninja skills and a devil mask who's trying to kill him because it smells like Kitty and she's phasing. Unkidnaps and unbrainwashes her by giving her lots of sort of Zen exercises. There is a Japanese garden that she has to rake. And through a lot of, quote, Japanese, close quote, tutorials, removes most or all of, of Ogun's mind control. Uh, but they're both worried that the mind control is going to come back. That brings us to about issue four, right? Uh, also, Yukio shows up, and everybody. Yeah, Yukio's there. Yukio's Yukio kind of great. Yukio is kind of great, and Yukio's hair is kind of great, and Yukio's hair is is important to some of the story work, actually. Um, as is Storm's hair, but we'll get back to that. Uh, Yukio's fat phobia is not great. Uh, Yukio keeps making fun of people for being large, even when they're extremely powerful. Uh, and that's, you know, it, it's worth calling out. I, I think at this point, mm-hmm. pretty much Kitty Pride and Wolverine just fight Ogun and save the day, kind of. Well, they, they, they do a lot of fighting Ogun, um, and the, import, the character beats that are important when they fight Ogun is that... They have to save Akiko, uh, Wolverine's girlfriend, Mariko's adopted or adopted kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of talk about whether Akiko really feels like Mariko's daughter and whether Kitty will find her father and who will take care of Kitty now that Storm has been depowered and is off on her own adventures. And... Mm-hmm. The talk around the fighting is very much about who gets to be whose parent and who needs a parent. And they have those kinds of talk about who's a good parent and who's a good teacher and what Kitty in particular needs to learn right up until the climactic moment when Kitty and Wolverine use their ninja skills and their powers to defeat Ogun, who I haven't said this before, was supposedly Wolverine's sensei. Uh, Ogun taught Wolverine everything that he knows about ninja skills. Um, and so sensei being, his sensei being evil and Wolverine now being a good guy is the thing that troubles Wolverine's heart. Uh, and Wolverine arranges at the climactic fight in issue six for Kitty to have the chance to kill Ogun. And by not going through with it, Uh, deciding that she doesn't kill people once they've been defeated. Uh, Kitty has shown that she's still herself and she retains her humanity and she is not going to have any trouble anymore with Ogun having brainwashed her and then Wolverine kills him because that's the sort of thing Wolverine does. To be fair, he was trying to kill them first. Oh, no, it's, 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 these are good decisions on everyone's part. And then Kitty and Akiko get together and have ice cream at the end. Uh, the other, th- these, this is the plot, and the second half of the first half of the plot is pretty interesting because it involves Kitty being lost and found and lost again in Tokyo, and sort of explaining what Tokyo looks like, and Wolverine going after her, and Wolverine trying to negotiate his competing obligations to Mariko and to Yukio and to the X Men, and that really drives a lot of his decisions. It's important in terms of character development for Wolverine and for Kitty in a way that it does not get enough credit for. And it has some beautiful visuals in a way that it doesn't get enough credit for because of the other things it does badly. Well, I think we should talk a little bit about the art because this is a spiritual sequel to the Frank Miller uh, mini uh, with Claremont. We're returning to Japan. Um, 
And this is still of a time when, you know, these characters would have disappeared from the regular book for a couple of months and then come back later. Obviously we don't do that anymore. We just put, you know, we put Wolverine wherever he needs to be. Um, but Al Milgram, I don't know. I mean, he's not the guy that I necessarily would have picked for this story. Um, and Claremont drags out the first part of this, I think unnecessarily to sort of get all the setup when we finally get to the Ogun, um, you know, possession of Kitty. And then we get into Wolverine coming in. That's when it starts to pick up and, and becomes a little more interesting. Wow. Uh, but for wow. me, this could have wow. probably been four issues as opposed oh, to six. It absolutely should have been four or five issues, but that's because issues three through six should have been two or three issues. Oh, I agree with that too. You could the compress issue, this in a variety of different well, ways. I, I wait, but the, I, I, issue one, honestly, for me is perfect. Um, oh, the okay. art's not perfect. The art's not perfect. No. Al, no. Al Milgram's a good inker and a good editor, not the world's greatest penciler. No, he's really not. Um, and I found myself distinguishing very sharply between the figure drawing and the facial expressions, which mm -hmm. range from perfectly adequate to inadequate. Yeah. And the storyboarding and panel layout, which is great. Yeah, it's like he understands the fundamentals of how to tell the story, but he doesn't have the necessary craft involved to do it proficiently oh and it gets worse as it goes along i wonder i wonder whether part of the problem is that he's inking himself and whether there were deadline issues because when um there's, there's also a particular challenge for pencilers involved here which is that he's drawn people of a variety of ages he's drawn children who are children He's drawing Kitty being herself and being a kid enjoying ice cream, which he can't do. He's drawing Kitty being a curious teen trying to do adult things, which he's okay at. And he's also drawing possessed Kitty. And frankly, drawing possessed people who's, who don't like change color or lose their faces or get encased in scales when they're possessed, drawing possessed people is actually a real challenge in a superhero comic because their faces, their facial expression is going to be different from the facial expression they would have if they were not possessed. When Shan possesses people, this problem is solved by having those things around their heads, and then the penciler can draw whatever their faces normally look like. But Milgram chooses not to do that, and he's trying to give himself a separate repertoire of facial expressions for possessed Kitty, and it fails utterly. And by by the issue six, we get a series of facial expressions in particular on on kitty but on our other principles as well that look kind of thick and rushed and kind of uncanny valley-ish however however there is so much beautiful work in terms of fight choreography and varying the page layout and from issue three on where there's there's more more fighting and i, I sort of noted some panels there are all these page long verticals. There are all these layouts in this comic where there's a five panel or a six panel page, but one or more of the panels goes from the top of the page to the bottom of the page and is like a skyscraper. And I haven't read enough Spider-Man stories to know if that's a cliche in, in spider stories, but it's not a cliche in X books and it's beautiful. There's falling, there's rising, there's weird stuff with perspective. I, I honestly really like a lot of the storyboarding. And I also think that while the, this Al Milgram is not actually good, um, the fact that the other people who are drawing Kitty in this era are like Paul Smith uh, means that, that he looks even worse by comparison. And I found myself imagining, what if this comic book were drawn by Paul Smith? Yeah, that's, that's my biggest hang up from an art standpoint. Because if I'm thinking of Wolverine in Japan stories, I'm thinking of the Claremont Miller Wolverine which yeah. is absolutely gorgeous. Very, very high standards. And then I'm thinking of those two issues at Wolverine's wedding. That's Claremont and Paul Smith. That's hard. That's a hard yeah. comp right there. Yeah. And and uh, I, we talked about the story and, and decided for a number of good reasons not to do it. Uh, but Kitty goes back to Japan and Kitty Pride Shadow and Flame. And we get to see uh, what Paul Smith does in sending an adult Kitty to Tokyo. Uh, and... It's beautiful. Unfortunately, the story is garbage, but what can you do? Uh, 
is is that too harsh on Shadow and Flame? I don't think it is. Um, no, Shadow and Flame it, it suffers for a variety of reasons. Um, but I think you know Alan Shitty Milgram. Yeah, uh, yeah. Alan, Alan Milgram can't. I mean, Alan Milgram does, does, is not good in the way that X artists of this period are really good, but he's not far below the standards of late 70s, early 80s Marvel comics where there's a lot going on and you read them for the story. Mm-hmm. Now, I got, I got a question for you, Adam. Yeah. How do you feel about Ogun as a character? Um, I don't have an issue with it. I feel like um, Claremont likes to go back to these tropes, this idea of sort of the anonymous Japanese ninja that is either the sensei or the assassin. And they're the one that's going to, you know, train somebody, possess somebody, uh, Psylocke somebody, um, you know, it, it, it really doesn't make a big difference, I think, in who it is. It's more of like a symbol. Um, I've always been fascinated by some of, uh, Claremont's endless tropes. Um, you know, like we, we were talking recently about how, you know, I would love somebody doesn't have to be me or you, but like somebody needs to ask him what his obsession with like BDSM wear is. Um, <laughs> but like to his face and be like, what's up with this? Cause you do it constantly. But I think another good question is this is a trope that he comes back to, um, very regularly uh it's an interesting kind of piece of cultural appropriation that he feels a need to not only have wolverine have this sort of samurai past but now his very favorite character kitty pride is going to get to have that same experience um in this mini and i I just think it's interesting it's a it's a real wild choice are you an ogun fan zach i do not care for him. He has a cool little demon mask. That's sure. the extent of my feelings on Ogun. Oh, I, I want to talk about the demon mask. Uh, Ogun, is, Ogun is a really boring villain. Uh, I'm glad Marvel, we can all agree on that yeah, one. Ogun is a really boring villain who is useful in the way that like a jack or a hammer or any other tool that you need to pr- serve a specific task is is useful and could be replaced by you know another hammer or another wrench. Um, Marvel, I'm not going to defend Marvel Japan, which is full of cliches and Marvel it, Japan's just pulp Japan. It's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's a lot to like and a lot to defend about in the story in terms of what happens to the characters who are X characters. Because and it's it's already been established and it's sort of rehearsed and made clear in a fairly beautiful and concise way why Logan specifically likes being in Japan, right? the the sense of order and discipline that you can still be violent in there's a tradition of organized discipline harmonious violence but there are also all these other traditions of self-control and civilization and it's also different from what he grew up with and that's exactly what he needs to control the animal in him um and he loves it and he sort of says that now why is kitty here and why is kitty here with wolverine this is not just the story in which kitty gets ninja powers but she also comes out of this with a new code name and a sense of having grown up a little. And Al Milgram, and he doesn't get credit for this, basically designs what's going to turn into her Alan Davis Excalibur costume. Okay, but it's a lot worse than when Davis draws the Excalibur costume. Well, every, I mean, Alan Davis drawing everything makes that thing better. Fair but enough. Even, you know, whatever you think of Kitty with a blue loose-fitting jacket and a sash... Uh, you know, version 0.5. It's also a character moment for her where she has figured out what her name is going to be and how she wants to look as someone who's, you know, graduated from the first stage of this. It's a really important moment of, of self-control for her. And it's, it's earned, but it's not quite independence. It's her finding someone else who's going to be a better teacher for this new advanced phase of who she wants to be. And I know everyone talks about this as the sequel to the, the Claremont Miller Wolverine, but it benefits for me from seeing it in conjunction with the other things that are happening in, in the X line at the time and in Kitty's life before and after, because she's had storm as the teacher she looked up to. And Storm is great about teaching you 
emotional self-control and like how to person, but Storm's the wrong person to teach Kitty how to deal with, with combat situations, right? That's just like the wrong teacher for her. Kitty needs a new teacher and this is where she gets one. It's the beginning, I think, of Logan being a safe, thoughtful, demanding, non-creepy teacher to various teens in his life, which is going to continue all the way up until Wolverine and the X-Men, the Jason Aaron stories. There's someone who's kind of important in Kitty's life who has recently spent a good deal of time having a super creepy mentor who wants to control her every move and give her red devil horns. I have never put that together, but that kind of makes sense. Yeah, uh, for, yeah. For those who haven't pieced it together, Adam, who are we talking about? Are we, wait, I, you lost me. What are we? What are we talking about? <laughs> okay, which one? Of, which one of Kitty's friends might have a weird mentor who's trying to possess her into having devil horns? Uh, literally at this exact same time. Oh, 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 oh. Um, we're talking about magic. I'm sorry. We are talking about magic. Ileana Rasputin. She's got. I thought we were talking about current continuity. I got so confused. I'm so sorry. No, in current Um, continuity, magic's just cutting off people's heads like it's nobody's business. Limbo. That was a great touch. But yeah, I love that moment. I love that moment. Just like I like that too. We're all Um, tired of Dark Beast. He's terrible. Sorry. Oh, I was talking about Sabretooth. Well, that happened too. She, she, she killed both of them. But that was a spoiler alert for War of Realms. Ilyana actually does a thing that Wolverine used to do, I guess, which is it's time to it's time to kill this person, and the people around me are the kind who don't kill. So I'm going to send their head to one dimension and their body to another, and bye. <laughs> yeah, Ilyana has decided there are no snowflakes in hell, and she has accepted that, and it's terrible and beautiful because we love her. Now, yeah. what, what what else we love is this big old list that we've got. It has. Mm-hmm. 243 stories on it. Uh, Holy cow. Our top six, because number six is important to this story, is Days of Future Past. Number two. Number one is Dark Phoenix Saga. Number three is Astonishing X-Men Gifted. Number four is God Loves Man Kills. Number five is Asgardian War. And number six is the Claremont Miller Wolverine. There's a lot of stuff below that. So this is not as good as the Claremont Miller Wolverine. It is absolutely not as good as the Claremont Miller Wolverine. It is not as good as the Magic miniseries, which we have at number forty-four currently. I would, I would, I would venture to say it is not as good as number eighty-three, which is the Uncanny X-Men Acts of Vengeance story with that good Jim Lee art, where Matsudo Sariaba does the same thing to uh, what's her name, Psylocke. Psylocke. Yep. Mostly because that Jim Lee art's real good. Well, and that's a compressed version of this story, um, you know, post-Siege Perilous. I do think this story suffers from from length. I think we're all in agreement of that. Uh, and there are some really good character, develop moment, uh, character development moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of people pick this up and, and look at the Milgram art, and I think that's going to influence whether they're going to actually invest in this or not. If this is if the, the, the good things about this story except for some of the technical storyboarding stuff about fights and cities, the good things about the story really only emerge if you're already invested in one or both of the title characters. For Mm -hmm. sure. Um, I am looking... It's probably not as good as number 127 on our list, which is Madripoor Knights. Yeah. uh, Where Wolverine and Black Widow and Captain America team up. Nope. It is not. Um, it's probably better than the first two issues of Exiles, Exiles though, which is at 139. Um, it is better than Negative Zone War. I think that's fair. Yeah, I can give you that. I I think it may also be better than uh, the Hellfire Saga from Wolverine and the X-Men, which uh, is a little bit, you know, a little also bit Also too long and messy. Oh. That's yeah. the one. That's the one with like Cade Kilgore and like the Junior Hellfire Club. Yeah, yep. romance between like yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's it's better than that. Um, it it may be worse than X Men Endangered Species is the one where Beast visits all the villains to solve the to solve M Day and he can't right. Yeah, I think Endangered yeah. Species is better. That one's. Real I was good. gonna say that would probably be my ceiling. So that would pr- make this our new one twenty nine. 
That would. And I thought we were going to argue about that way more than we did. No. That is, There's that some is, good stuff going on here. That is, that is, yeah, that is way higher than I thought you were going to, going to place it. But uh, there's so much. I don't hate it. It just, it needs to be four issues and maybe have someone else draw it. Uh, yeah. There is a, I, I will say that in an imaginary world where Paul Smith draws the exact same script, this is like number 25. But if Paul Smith drew most of these comics, they'd go up. So that doesn't Absolutely. tell us much. That's, that's very fair. Now, the next story, Paul Smith also didn't draw. In fact, Paul Smith drew none of these stories, these which stories, is unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> it is yeah. unfortunate. It is unfortunate. Uh, instead, we have Ron Wagner uh, teaming up with our boy, Chris Claremont, to do three issues at the end of his Excalibur. This is the, this is the end of Claremont's Excalibur run. It's called <laughs> Girls' School from Heck. Adam. Yeah. Adam. Adam, hey. my boy. Yeah. What happens in girl school from heck? Uh, Kitty is uh, going to private school. Um, she is dorming there. And uh, the other girls kind of Heather her. Um, we, we get into a Heather's type situation where they're stealing her stuff. Um, you you know, might call them mean girls. They are mean girls. Yes. Um, at the same time, Mesmero has been abducted by uh, some, some mandroid type robots um Excalibur is kind of just in the background of this for a while until yeah. they are also taken under uh Mesmero's control and uh it, the whole thing unbelievably culminates with a bring it on situation where <laughs> <laughs> the uh the girls from the private school <laughs> team up with uh, Kitty Pride as their lead to um do a I'm not making this up a cheerleading routine um to save the day so wow wow let's let's talk about the important thing the cheerleading routine happens at a american football game that is sold out in wembley stadium where this british non-nfl expansion team is playing against the new york giants yep yeah. we currently have nfl games in london and can i tell you what they don't, well they don't sell out. They don't sell out Wembley Stadium. No, it's not Yankees Red Sox. Uh, that's for sure. So uh, that's an incredibly timely reference. That was like three days ago. Well, as of this recording, people should probably just tuned into that. Um, I was also informed recently that just by posting a, a frame of this on Twitter, that uh, the the captain of that football team is a Captain Britain from an alternate universe. I don't think that's true, but I no? want it to be. All right. Well, we he does. Pretend. He does have like a, a flag on his helmet, but um, anyway. So, so, yeah, this is an interesting one, especially for Claremont to be wrapping up his run with. Also, Fenris shows up. Yes, because Fenris is the one that's behind Mesmero. <laughs> so this divides not issue by issue, but sort of plot by plot. The A plot is Kitty goes to St. Searles and figures out how she gets along with the other girls there and then has to do a thing to save the school. It's incredibly contrived. Like, that's, oh. the, that's the most basic <laughs> plot you could have. It certainly is the most basic plot you could have. And like a lot of other very simple plots, it's a chance for some wonderful character work. And I love it. Now... The okay. Plot is Mesmero gets tra trapped by Fenris into hypnotizing another X Men, and that's really boring. And the yeah, uh, I don't the, even remember what happened. I read it yesterday. Right, it's really boring. Yeah. Uh, and then the C plot is the the uh, actual American football game and the cheerleading contest and the kids from the school who were the mean girls who have trained as cheerleaders, which I guess gives them like gymnastic martial arts powers, uh, <laughs> some villains from between one panel and the next. Yes. Uh, and that is just, that is five kinds of, of ridiculous and feels rushed even on its own terms. But so much happens in the A plot that I, I want to talk about. Um, is it, is is it the capital S subtext for Kitty? 
<laughs> so this is this is kind of an interesting thing because I, I think where you're going is that this is a character who is constantly on the 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 edge of being on panel by and who fans kind of agree is by uh right i think that's fair right uh now when we get to the third story we're gonna do this this episode um we should talk about that more because this isn't to me a story about kitty's sexuality claremont wrote a number of such stories but this isn't one this is a story about kitty's relationship to her peer group and kitty's desire to fit in and 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 who kitty has been and who she has not been allowed to be in her time as an x-man which is a thing that claremont has hit since and if you want to do your research 139 which is a super important issue for kitty which i'm not sure if if you've covered in your 243 what's that is uh, that demon is that demon no it's not it, it wait demon what like the one where she fights a demon on christmas that's no that's that's 143 139 is is the one where we're introduced to stevie hunter oh uh, okay oh okay yeah yeah with the it's it's the first time that she gets whole pages that develop her character. Yeah, and that's the hope you survive the experience one. Yes, it's exactly yeah. Uh, and there's a you know there's a reason that's famous and there's a reason that's a tagline and that's a great issue for a whole lot of reasons. But one of the things it establishes is that Kitty is somebody who's always either a student or, as it's going to turn out, some kind of teacher. She's someone who's always either in the company of adults who are saying well you know you're quite young but you're amazing or she has to do weirdly adult things like fight uh, a demon with a jet plane and she's really never had a group of peers the other thing that she's never had is she's never actually been bullied most Hold on. I, I gotta jump back to one thing yeah, yeah. Have you in your adult life had to fight a demon with a jet plane? Because that's not an experience that I've had. I didn't think that was a common one for adults. Well, I mean, it is an unusual job. Uh, but in general, piloting jet planes is not a thing we want teenagers to do. Uh, nor is that's fighting fair. demons, although it does happen. It's kind of an adult job, right? I think you're stretching the definition of job, but I'll allow it. There's at least one air traffic controller in X-Fandom. You may, you may know her. We can ask her. Uh, in any case, Kitty has been asked either to superhero or to be the youngest one in the room by a lot since she showed up during the Dark Phoenix saga. Um, she hasn't had a peer group. She's always sort of wanted one, and she's always wanted to be kind of partly normal, and she can, right? She can pass. She has enough social skills that if she really wanted to, she could just live a normal life, which most of the other X-Men couldn't do. The only other X-Person who's really significant at this point in continuity who could have chosen to lead a normal life based on the way she worked, way, way she looks and on her power set is Jean Grey, who Kitty has barely met. Um, so this is Kitty's first peer group experience. It's also her first experience of being the target of peer bullying. And those go together. And she has to sort of figure them out. And she figures it, them out in a way that a girl who wants to be popular would. And a girl who wants to be popular with this particular set of school kids who, as we learn in the first sort of, I, th I think, midway through the story, they're all people who've been kicked out of other schools. They're all rejects. They're all kids who would be into mischief. Apparently, the reason the school is called St. Searles is that it's a reference not just to the tradition of girls' school stories in British comics generally, of which there are hundreds or thousands. There was a magazine called Jinty that sort of did this every month that Claremont would have seen growing up, although it was very, very heavily gendered. Um, it's not just girls' school stories in general, which have all these formulas. It's also uh, a set of sort of New Yorker-style single-panel car cartoons about dangerous, mischievous bad girls at a school called St. Trinian's that Ronald Searle drew. Um, so this is this is tropey in a way that is very, very conscious of what all of its British models are. And it's also important socialization work for Kitty. And compared to other Kitty stories, it's actually not very queer, except for some of the creepy Courtney Ross stuff. But it's mostly about peer socialization and how Kitty gets it. And it's actually got an answer that's going to help young readers, which is if you want to find your peers, 
and, and you don't fit in, don't just go chasing around after other adults. Find the other kids who are like you. And I think that Claremont, I mean, I don't know, I haven't asked him, but it's easy to imagine that Claremont, who always said he wanted to cycle characters out of the X-Men, wanted to leave Excalibur by leaving Kitty at the school for a year and then having her maybe come back later. This is actually where she belongs, and her choice to rejoin Excalibur makes sense for her, but it seems sort of forced, especially since it's it so does. silly. But I'd, I'd say everything about the resolution of the plot of this story seems super forced because it very all just kind of has to end. It's very yeah, silly. It, yeah. Would you guys agree that perhaps this arc in general just also feels like a little bit out of left field in terms of what was happening in Excalibur leading up to it? Like all Kitty really had to do was walk down the street <laughs> and say, hey, guys, I'm back. I think um, this is weird by Excalibur standards, and that's saying something. Well, and it's so, yeah. Um, uh, you know, Stephanie is talking so uh, eloquently about all of the um, stylized tropes that Claremont is accessing here to tell this story. Um, but it is fascinating to me within the grand scheme of what's going on at the same time that this is coming out. This is 1991. We're talking mutant genesis. We're talking, this is post, you know, this is around or post Muir Island saga. And Claremont is getting ready to pack up his bags and leave the X franchise forever. And it's wild to me that, you know, when we see Alan Davis come back to Excalibur, he wants to wrap up a lot of the stuff that he and Claremont developed um, in the first, you know, 25 issues or so. Um, it is wild to me that if, it is his intention to say, hey, Kitty Pride, take a take a, a Cyclops um style little sabbatical here, and then and then we'll we'll catch up with you later. Um, that this would be how he would do it. I, I just find it so strange. Um, and the other thing that I I just can't get over in this story is that we just, you know, we were just talking about the Kitty Pride and Wolverine miniseries, which I think to its detriment overpowers Kitty Pride to the point where she is, if we're to take what happens with Ogun, literally, she is like a, an invincible ninja assassin now. And the way in which she gets friends for the, you know, a big part of it is that the other girls see her stand up to the bullies, but then they also see her doing her sort of karate ninja training out in the field and are like, yo, she's the real deal. She's going to kill us. Um, or she could, so maybe we should stop bullying her. I, I just like the the two aspects of those characters are very very interesting to me. And then if I want to, you you were Stephanie, you were talking a little bit about the idea of um, Kitty always being a student. I think yeah. a lot of people's you know m most strong impression of Kitty Pride is that back cover of uh, one of the early Excalibur issues with her fixing a computer with Lockheed by her side. Yeah. I have that up in my office. Yeah. It's a beautiful piece, but the idea that this invincible ninja assassin who is also the technological whiz is now going to sort of fit into this other stylized kind of storytelling in a private school. I, for me, it doesn't add up. Um, I, I think I agree with you there, Adam. It's a, yeah. For me, it's a weird, you know, Kitty Pride contains multitudes. All the great but yeah. I, I love Kitty. Kitty's great. Uh, this is real far in the other direction of the Kitty we even just read about in the last story. No, it's, it's, it's a mess uh, by the end. And it does what all the second tier Excalibur stories do, which is it leans so far into a genre that is not a normal genre for superhero comics, that the superhero stuff and the, the superheroes who we know from, from previous continuity don't seem to belong in it. So mm -hmm. here's what I think I'd say about this story. Mm -hmm. It's worse than Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Oh, uh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to see what else we have on this list that would well, be. Well, at 134, we have Excalibur 91, um, which is, is a, 
a really fun standalone where they all, yeah, where they all go to the bar and drink. I think this is worse than that. I do too. It's worse than X Men Gold Thirty. It is. Yes, I, definitely. I, you have that. You have that you, never mind. There's your yeah. rankings. Your rankings. It's <laughs> uh, okay. Um, um, X Campus is another high school X Men story. That uh, at one eighty seven. Yeah. That took some risks, though. I mean, that's sort of like a, an alternate universe type situation. I, I think I like that more. I think this is better than Bishop's Crossing at 190, though. Okay. All right. Okay. I, I'm i a little bit defensive about that because it's my guy, but... Um, it's definitely I, better than District X, which is right below it. Yeah. I, I, I would have to go to Bishop's Crossing, but I, I wouldn't defend District X. So... I'm okay with it being at 191. We can make Girl School from Heck, Excalibur 32 to 34, our new number 191. Nice I'm choice. I am fine with that. All um, right. It's not the worst that Excalibur gets. Oh, no. I mean, the non, the stories, Excalibur stories that are not written by Claremont or Davis can be so bad. Oh, yeah. Well, so, they're the only ones that really get what they were trying to do with the book. But what they were trying to do was, was really hard to do. Oh, um, sure. Look, Claremont also screwed up with Excalibur, or do you not remember the dirty pear story that he has in the middle of the cross-timed caper? That's an absolute nightmare. <laughs> I, I had, I, I had, I'm sure I read it at one time, but I have no memory of it. Someone wiped my memory. Uh, yeah, it's it's the point where you realize the cross-timed caper has gone on for far too long, oh, and yeah. you still have six issues to go. You know, it if, is a thing. If he'd wrapped um, up the cross-timed caper sooner maybe we would have had some more room to develop girls school from heck it would be a more fun story or not perhaps not possible yeah for sure now this last one's weird yeah we've been talking about weird this is weird this is a story that came out in 2014 written by peter milligan with art by david lafontaine uh it's all new dupe yeah yeah which is Basically, like what happens in between the panels during Battle of the Atom? Um, yeah, this is the what? What's the famous uh, Shakespeare thing? That's a riff off Shakespeare, uh, like Rose, two side characters from Romeo and Juliet. Ro- Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. and Guildenstern are dead. Yeah, by Tom Stoppard. It's a play. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that for Battle of the Atom, which is just <laughs> wild that that exists. Because <laughs> here's what happens during Battle of the Atom, and this is all canon. Dupe, which let's let's take a ranking. I love dupe. Adam, do you love dupe? I don't know if I love dupe. I like dupe. I don't know if I love dupe. You're dead to me. Stephanie, do you love dupe? <laughs> I love this story. I do not love the at all the the dupe Wolverine and the X-Men story. Uh oh, and I wow. what? Hold on. What? <laughs> fun. It's fun. Oh, we're, it's just, we're big fans of that. And Sorry. It's, it's a lot of fun. But honestly, I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm here for the art and I'm here for the character development. And there's mm. not a whole lot of of character change and growth that happens in 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 the one about Duke. There's also, true. It's it's an Easter egg of an issue. I like to think that we get a lot of insight into what makes Duke tick there, specifically a little bit more than this issue or these issues. Oh. But well, I digress. Oh, I don't know about that. This is pretty much uh, you know while this is the uh, the uh, literally the marginalia <laughs> of Battle of the Atom. Um, we're essentially getting a dupe origin story with this to a certain extent. It's yeah. weird. Because, okay, here's the first big thing that happens in this story. During yeah. the middle of Battle of the Atom, dupe does propose to Kitty Pride. Yes. Right. And he takes her, takes her on some weird dates in the margins of the world. The dupe verse, yeah. Yeah. And then he kind of does some things in Battle of the Atom trying to get Kitty to make a decision in her life mm-hmm. because he knows that she needs to be pushed. Right. And then the book veers off for two issues about Dupe's mom. It's got three issues that are Dupe helping Kitty figure out what she wants to do in Battle of the Atom, which we should a little explain what's going on there. And then the second, the, 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 the four and five are, are about dupe and they're not really about kitty but one through three i mean this could have been three issues but but the the four and five it's a lot of fun 
It's a lot of fun. You're absolutely right. This doesn't need to be six issues. Um, it is chock full of stuff. Um, it, it allows Peter Milligan an opportunity to bring the anarchist into it. Um, you go girl hasn't has a, um, an appearance, but you're right. We go from, uh, Duke trying to help Kitty figure out whether the kids should go back. The O five should go back or not, um, to this wild origin story, which is that Duke believes that he is, was the creation of Ingmar Bergman on a doodle of a page, um, right. which just is so perfect for, you know, the character of Duke. That it's a brilliant concept by Milligan. Um, and he's also dealing with this like absolutely bizarre thing with his mother, who's also his father. And, uh, well, you gave these... it away. Yeah. Now, that's the spoiler. Is that a spoiler? Like I, not, not to be rude, but is the specific autonomy of dupes family? Like, Yes. I, I yes, didn't know is. that people were curious about that. So, so <laughs> no one's, I mean, I don't really care about it in terms of Duke, but Duke, this is, this, we, you, you brought up the queerness of X-Men and yes. the, the bi-ness, the always almost confirmed, but never quite confirmed and panel bi-ness of Kitty and Girl School from Heck, where I don't think it plays a major role. Here, and... I don't know Peter Milligan, like I don't know Shade the Changing Man, I don't know all the other Peter Milligan works, so I don't know whether this is the kind of thing he does all the time. This is an issue about the relation that queer X-Men fans have to these characters and this property. This is an issue, or not even an issue, this is a set of five sort of ridiculous, beautifully cartoony, and very consistent. This has exactly the look that that the story demands, which the other two stories that we looked at like didn't have. This is a, a beautiful and, and ridiculous until you see it. And then I hope you kind of see it kind of slightly also heartbreaking look at what queer readers have been doing with this property since about 1977, because it's a story about being this misfit who thinks you're alone in the world and has to sort of make the world up as you go along, literally, literally existing in the margins of this superhero comic, trying to figure out where to come into the story and how to tell your own story, right? Which Dupe is a documentary filmmaker and sometimes how to tell a story that puts you at its center and is kind of self-aggrandizing because Dupe also makes Dupe self sort of the star of a story. Uh, and as Dupe goes on his date with Kitty, which brings in so much of the history of this character. Uh, one of the jokes about Kitty is that she's everybody's girlfriend and that uh, cishet guys who are writing X-Men will never let you do anything with this character because they all want to date her, right? And she's dating Bobby at the beginning of the story. And the, the big plot advancing thing, decision that Dupe has to help Kitty make is to side with the Cyclops team and against the, the and, and leave the Wolverine and the X-Men team and go against her colleagues and say, no, you can't send the O5 back to the past. That should be their choice and they don't want to go there and that would suck for them. Right. But the other decision that Dupe is helping Kitty make in, in one through three is the decision to break up with Bobby because she doesn't belong with Bobby. And this has the shippiest Kitty and Rachel panels that we've seen mm -hmm. it has yeah. some shippy <laughs> kitty and rachel panels it takes it takes what were shippy panels in battle of the atom and kind of turns them up another notch mm -hmm. exactly exactly so dupe is in exactly the position of uh what is it at this point 40 years of queer readers who are bouncing around the margins of x-men comics hoping kitty will stop dating men it's absolutely wild that i've read this story multiple times and i've never had that read really? but okay. It, okay i don't think you're wrong is the thing i think i'm bad at reading or <laughs> that's not or probably more realistically those aren't my experiences so that's not the kind of context that i'm looking at stories with so i really like i'm sitting here just quietly nodding mm. She's making some really good points here. I think I might have misread this one. I mean, 
the silliness is there too. This is how great X-Men comics worked. And this is a very good X-Men comic. A great is a weird word. No, don't beat yourself up. Like there are a lot of X comics that are written more for you than for me. Uh, but I really felt seen by this as, as absurd as it is. And it's really consistent. Um, it's consistent even when we get to issues four and five, which aren't as good, which are Dupe's backstory, in which it turns out that Dupe is not the, whose name, by the way, is interesting. Has he been duped by comics or is he duping us? Uh, that may be overreading now. Dupe is not the, the product of a sad high culture tragedy that wants to get back to high culture status. Uh, but rather the product of this entire family of, uh, what does he say, asexual, hermaphroditic sort of green entities. And what mm -hmm. Dupe says, what Dupe says about that. Uh, he, there's Carl Jung at one point points at Dupe and appears to be Stan Lee. I don't know. Yes, if yes. It's, it's yes I did catch that one. Emerging. Yeah. And I looked up pictures of what Carl Jung looked like in his sort of 60s and 70s. And it's Stan Lee. Um, <laughs> Uh, but so, so, uh, hang on. This is near the very end. Um, I always thought dupe was the only boy girl in our family, which meant more guilt and shame. X-Men is about a lot of things, including, you know, fun fights with people with claws, but X-Men is also about finding queer community. Dupe doesn't seem to identify as queer. Dupe actually, there's a panel with Dupe in a limo kissing a man and kissing a woman where Dupe just says, uh, you know, I got a lot of love and the therapy worked and I don't like labels, which is valid. Uh, but Dupe is certainly, if Dupe were human, Dupe would be intersex. And the way that this story ends, having convinced Kitty to break up with Bobby and then go do this shippy thing uh, and, and switch, switch teams, right? Kitty literally switches teams. Um, hmm. We then get four, four, two issues, sorry, four and five that are just dupe. And the, the terminating conditions, the way the story ends, are dupe stops feeling guilt and shame because dupe realizes that there is an entire community of boy girls out there. And then Kitty goes to her old team and says, I can't do this anymore. I got to be honest, Stephanie. Yeah. When we were picking the stories for this episode, I thought this one would have the least amount of like subtext in context or queer content in it. Uh, and I just picked it because it was a story that I like because I like dupe. I like the story too. I cannot <laughs> believe how how well this lines up. That's well, and if we if we want to take the the idea of you know the switching teams literally. Um, we do get to a point after dupe has kind of come to his self-acceptance and Kitty gives him a smooch um, yeah. where Milligan is pretty much putting it on the line. Um, dupe looks at Kitty and says, you just want to avoid making the toughest decision of your life. Kitty doesn't know what to say. And dupe says, go on, admit it, admit it, Kitty. And there's this panel where she just stares off into the distance and says, you mean, and drifts off. And then the next panel is when he kind of brings it back to the Battle of the Atom story. But it's all there. You know, yeah. Stephanie, your reading of this is superb. Um, I, I have to say that I think that the book uh, suffers a little bit when and, and this is where being maybe maybe one or two issues shorter would probably have helped this a little bit mm -hmm. is when uh, David LaFuente is not doing the artwork. He's just doing the yeah, for four and five. Um, and we get, oh, geez, hold on. I, I just lost the name. Uh, uh, Frederico Santagile. I, guys, uh, you know. Um, who, perfect. Very talented. Don't don't get me wrong. It's just once you get into La Fuente's style, he's doing these very, very impressive two-page spreads. He's, he's really nailing his version of dupe so to go back and forth between those two styles is uh is a little bit rough well and i'll tell you it, it's weird because la fuente is legitimately not an artist i tend to enjoy like i he's someone who i could look at his stuff and say you're talented you're good i don't like it oh see i love his stuff i think it's great it, it's it's a very me problem like I can I can see the skill and I can see the talent, but I don't personally enjoy it. Mm. I but 
I definitely agree. It suffers here when he is not the driving artistic force on the book when he's only inking it. Yeah, it, it doesn't. I don't think it changes quite that much, but it does get worse. Uh, I, the 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 La Fuente stuff is so perfect for the way that this book needs to look, which I wouldn't say either of the the Milgram stuff or of the Ron Wagner stuff on the early other stories we discussed. Uh, and it, 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 there's such a narrow zone. There's such a narrow, what is this, uh, what do people say in baseball, strike zone that he yep. has to hit where this has to be cartoony enough to be a dupe story without looking like it's for children. And we've seen, uh, if you're, you're reading current continuity uh we see an attempt to hit that zone go wildly amiss in apocalypse and the extract where you have very adult stories that look like they're for children primarily and mm -hmm. this doesn't but it also looks like we're in dupe space and it's not uh the other thing that dupe stories like this could easily become is body horror uh, one imagines Which there's a little bit of there's a little bit when oh, dupe rips his entire body off yeah, but that's just so he can speak English. Yes, <laughs> right. And then that's a you know it's a big step for him. He he gives Kitty a ring made of meat, and it smells bad. And there are olfactory <laughs> jokes in here, but none of those things make your skin crawl. They're just kind of goofily out of place, colorful objects. And it's it is important in a story about marginal readers looking for queer identity confirmed uh, that it not be horrifying even though this character easily could be um and and the la fuente art just just hits it well and it's a step up from we've uh ranked la fuente drawing dupe before um mm -hmm. in a plus x uh mm -hmm. what number is that we've got that down at 168 a plus x number five where dupe teams up with iron fist and uh, he's definitely leveling up here. I mean, like the quality and the detail that he brings to uh, to the artwork here is fantastic. Um, and I do think, you know, we brought up the idea of body horror. I do think that there's an element of that. Um, as we saw in Ecstatics and the silent issue, where are they going? You know, where is the marginalia? Is it like a Gwenpool type situation where we're, we're, we're going through the gutters of the actual comic page? Are we supposed to take it literally? Or are we going like that silent issue? Um, are we going inside of dupe? You know, is the dupe world dupe? <laughs> you know, I like think the answer to all of that is just yes. Sure. Yeah. It can be, it can be all of it. Um, but regardless of how you look at it, it makes it interesting. You know, dupe is constantly uh, showcasing a new power here where he's digging through the landscape wherever he wants the yeah. inside of a refrigerator, uh, the middle of a fight scene, the the it's background of a of another scene we've seen out of Battle of the Atom, and um, it it also sort of suggests that Dupe is almost the director of the X Men universe. Um, uh, I wouldn't say director. I think I mean he's he's literally a documentarian. You yeah, know? He, doesn't, he doesn't decide what happens, but he, he finds angles on it. That's literally his role. Yeah, and you see him with the camera a lot uh, in, in here. Yeah, and, and we, can't, we can't account for that before Ecstatics because obviously, you know, we've had X-Men comics before uh, Ecstatics and, and the, the story sets up the idea that he moved uh, to LA to sort of like figure himself out. But um, I don't know. I, I love that you know, we thought we were having a Kitty Pride episode and we're, we're devoting a, a great deal of time here to um, to talking about Duke. But um, everything that you've said, Stephanie, about how this addresses Kitty's queerness is definitely baked into this um, yes. big time. So Duke is a reader figure. Duke is a reader figure who's getting literally his own angles on this material and and sh seeing what he wants to see within the limits of a story that he's not ultimately telling. Yeah. Um, so there, there's one one more set way in which this story speaks to the other two that we're covering that I want to note because it's fun and it, it, it's another thing to like in here before we get to ranking them, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which which I there was a little bit of Twitter talk about this morning. Um, in all three of these stories, Kitty shows up in a way that she maybe doesn't need to show up in a bath or a shower or a yeah, hot she tub. does that a lot 
it is a very X-Men thing to have characters and they're not always women or girls, but Kitty's one of the people where this happens show up uh, in a way that, you know, the comics code will allow you in the, the 80s and 90s to, uh, to, to, you know, print the comic, you won't get in trouble. Uh, but we do tend to see, you know, baths and showers. And there is a wonderful callback to that in this issue where Kitty fully clothed pops up in a hot tub interrupting whatever was going on between a couple other members of the ecstatics. And, Literally nothing because uh, it would break the hot tub code and they are explicit about that. They say that. <laughs> They say that, and what she says, and she looks like she's covered in goo rather than water, is this is not supposed to be happening. <laughs> and, and that is the culmination of the other sort of thread that runs through here, which is Dupe seems like he's creepy. Dupe seems like a reader who's following Kitty around because he literally wants to get married to her. And he says by the end, and this is a wonderful moment, the marriage proposal was just a ruse. I could have led you to making the same decisions with a job offer and a bowl of oranges instead of a ring made of meat. And I'm not sure that's true, but it's, it's as if it were the entire history of the X-Men saying, this, is, this character is not here to be everybody's girlfriend. This character is here as a figure for reader identification. And stories about boys chasing her are good for her when they serve that reader identification. And Dupe, uh, uniquely among people who take he, him pronouns, uh, understands that among people who pursued her. I love this. I, I think we could have written this off as something very, very slight. And I love that there's so much sophistication cooked into this thing. Um, I, I want to thank Charlotte. I want to thank Charlotte Geeter, by the way, who's done some some uh, poetry writing and some fan writing. Uh, she was the first person who turned me on to the rich subtext or text, really, of all new Duke. So, so thank you, Charlotte. Thank you, Charlotte. <laughs> I feel like we're all learning, which is fantastic. Here's here's what I'll say about this story. I I think I appreciate it even more than I did starting this conversation, which is something that sometimes happens here. I definitely think I know what the ceiling is. What's the ceiling? Number 68, Excalibur Mojo Mayhem. Because it has a lot of superficial elements that are the same about this. But it also has Art Adams, and I like it better. It does also have Kitty running around half naked the whole time. Now that I remember that story from, I think, our second episode. <laughs> I absolutely love Mojo Mayhem. Um, but yeah, we're definitely far above uh, some other kitty stories that we have on the list. Um, at 90, UXM 143, which is the Christmas demon. Um, like, I, here's what I will say, Adam. And this, yeah. is a, this is a tough one for me. Yeah. I think this is better than the time the X-Men met Santa Claus. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, that's only like two stories below. We have all new Wolverine an annual where she switches places with Gwenpool, mm -hmm. which I think this is better than. Yeah. And what if the Phoenix stuff? I'm well, finding it on the list here. Yeah, there's a big gap there between you're down around duh, 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 like 93. But yeah, yeah, you said Demon's 90. Yeah, it is. It is. I. I'm just looking at some of the other stuff that's kind of in between there. Um, and I'm just wondering. Wait, in between where... demon and what if Phoenix? No, between demon and you said your ceiling was Mojo Mayhem. So how high are you interested in going on this list? I would say it's not as good as murder at the mansion at number 85. Okay. Probably better than house of M. I think it's better than House of M. It's... Is it better than that Generation X Christmas story? Yeah, I think it is. Okay, then I think we've done it. We've done it again, guys. So we're at 86? And gals and everyone involved. We are at all new dupe at number 86. Okay. Okay. I'm 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 fine with that. Not having not having read all 240, where are we now? 246 of the stories that are here? <laughs> uh yeah. 
Also this, worth noting that that is well ahead of uh, the actual Battle of the Atom at 106. Which is an apples to bowl of oranges comparison that Absolutely. you're always making. Yep. I want to first thank Stephanie. Thank you so much for being on this episode. It was incredibly insightful. Thank you. This is so much fun. Now, I'd, I'd also like to thank Patreon supporter Benjamin Mogger for suggesting the Kitty Pride and Wolverine miniseries and kicking this whole thing off. If you want to be like Benjamin, you can go over to patreon.com slash examifiles, throw as little as $2 a month uh, our way, and you'll get added to the list. Right now, the next open spot is June 1st of 2020. Holy cow. Wow. We've got a lot of stories in the way and some really good ones coming up that I'm excited for. Mm-hmm. But we do have a lot of stories in our way. Uh, but, you know, get on, get on that list soon rather than later. Uh, because once you're on, you're on for, for the rest of eternity. Mm. Now, uh, what else was do I normally say? Oh, uh, you can find everything that I do on uh, XavierFiles.com. Uh, it's got X-Men stuff. You know the drill. Also, uh, at Xavier Files on Twitter for all the latest and greatest of my thoughts, which calling them great is, that's yeah, a stretch, but I digress. Adam, where can people find you? Guys can always follow me at Arthur Stacy on Twitter and um, new pages of Bish and Jubes Cross Time Conundrum every Monday at adamrec.tumblr.com. And cartoon Stephanie, is so much fun. That cartoon is so much fun. Thank you for drawing. <laughs> Thank you, Steph. <laughs> Appreciate that. And Stephanie, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter is the best place. And if you look for Stephanie Burt on Twitter and you find the one who seems to write about poetry, you'll get me. But if you like spelling things out, it is um, at A-C-C-O-M-M-O-D-A-T-I-N-G-L-Y, accommodatingly, on Twitter. That is great. It's a good account. You should follow it, people. Uh, thank I you. I follow it. Thank That's you. Good. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not telling them to do something I'm not already up to, so. Here <laughs> we go. Now, what... I'm up to is uh, what we're doing next week. And next week, we're going to talk about the other side of Kitty Pride from a incredible classic classicist standpoint. And that is Colossus. Colossus. None of these, actually, one of these Colossus stories does have Kitty Pride involved in it. Uh, but it'll be interesting. It actually is involved in a very good way that I think will make people who are fans of this episode happy. Uh, but until then, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get 